So as we continue to look at the law of contract or the law relating to contract, we have identified the critical elements of contract formation, which are good valid offer, valid acceptance, good consideration, and the intention to create legally binding relationship as the capacity to contract. In the last podcast, we looked at the two elements, if you want to call them two elements of valid offer, valid acceptance, because they go hand in hand. And now we turn our attention to a central ingredient, which is good consideration. And the question is, what is consideration? What constitutes good consideration? What is valid consideration? To define consideration, it is a promise that is only legally binding if it is made in return for another promise or an act, either a positive act or something given up. That is, if it is part of a bargain. The requirement of something for something is called consideration. It may be defined as some benefit accruing to one party or some detriment suffered by the other. There have been several case law definitions and an example of that is Corey and Misa, 1875. And in that case, the definition is some right, interest, profit, or benefit accruing to one party, or some forbearance, detriment, loss, or responsibility given, suffered, or undertaken by the other. Now, the question is, what categories or what types of consideration are there? and which of them is valid and which is invalid and in relation to the types of consideration there's executory executed and past consideration so consideration may be executory or executed but it may not be past executory consideration here the bargain consists of mutual promises the consideration is supported by promises from both sides. There's no performance, so there's no executed act. An example of executory consideration is A orders a greenhouse from B to be paid for when it is delivered next week. There are two promises for the law to enforce. B's promise to deliver the greenhouse and is promised to pay for it, but none of them have acted. Then there's executed consideration. Here, the consideration for the promise is performed or executed. So, an example, fertilizer is ordered and paid for, and it is agreed that delivery will take place within 10 days. If delivery is late, the buyer may sue, putting forward his executed act, which is the payment, as consideration. Similarly, a person who returns a lost dog having seen an offer of reward may claim the reward. His act of returning the dog is executed consideration. The consequences of events in both examples is the first, the promise, and subsequently the act. So for consideration 
to be valid, the promise must precede the act. So whether it is cons executed, executory consideration or executed consideration, the promise must precede the act. Promise first, then act next. If you act before and then promise, there is no consideration. That is past consideration. So that brings us now past consideration. So if the act put forward as consideration is performed before any promise of reward was made, it is not valid consideration. And I will repeat that for emphasis. Past consideration. If the act put forward as consideration was performed before any promise of reward was made, it is not valid consideration. So again, if you want to restate the elements of contract formation, valid offer, valid acceptance, valid consideration, I say good consideration, intention to create legally binding relationship and the capacity to contract. So an example is X promises to give Y 10 pound because Y dug X's garden last week. Y cannot sue because when X's promise was made, Y's act was in the past. So in the case of Roscorla and Thomas, 1842, the plaintiff purchased a horse from the defendant. After the sale was completed, the defendant gave an undertaking that the horse was not vicious. This proved to be wrong. The plaintiff sued on this undertaking. He failed since his consideration was in the past. The act put forward as consideration, that is the payment of the price, was complete before the undertaking was given. The plaintiff, therefore, gave nothing new in return for the undertaking. It is not possible to sue in a something-for-nothing situation. In deciding whether consideration is passed, the, court do, the courts do not always take a strictly chronological view. If the consideration and the promise are substantially the same transaction, it does not matter in which order they are given. Thus, manufacturers may give guarantees to persons who buy their products from retailers. The buyer then sells a card to the manufacturer to claim the benefit of the guarantee, and he usually does this after he has bought the goods. And as I constantly say, in law, there are general rules and there are exceptions to those general rules. So as a general rule, past consideration is not valid consideration. However, there are exceptions to the past consideration rule. And the question is, what are these exceptions? And the first one is that past consideration will support a bill of exchange. And this is according to Section 27 of the Bill of Exchange Act of 1882. And bills of exchange are essentially instruments that the goods are delivered and the payment will be subsequently uh, made. So where a subsequent promise is made to pay for services rendered at the defendant's request, 
the explanation is that when the request was made, there was an implied undertaking that there would be some payment and the subsequent promise merely fixed the amount. So in Lamley and Brathwaite 1615, the defendant killed a man and asked the plaintiff to obtain for him a royal pardon. The plaintiff did so and the defendant then promised to pay him £100. Defendant broke this promise and the plaintiff sued him. The plaintiff succeeded in this action because the defendant's request was regarded as containing an implied promise to pay. And the subsequent promise to pay £100 was merely fixing the amount. So these are two examples of exceptions to the past consideration rule. Now, consideration for it to be valid or good must have certain characteristics what are these characteristics well for starters consideration must move from the promising and in addition to that consideration must be of some value and these are general uh, attributes of consideration and as I've said there are general rules and there are exceptions to the general rules so when we come to look at consideration must be of some value we're going to recognize that there are exceptions to that particular attribute but let us look at consideration must move from the promisee and the promisee is the person to whom the promise is made just as how we have offeror and offeree the offeror is the person who is making the promise and the promise is the person who is receiving or accepting the offer or the promise. So, the maxim that consideration must move from the promisee represents an alternative way of stating the basic rule of privity of contract. And privity of contract means that the only person who can sue on a contract is the person who paid the price. For example, if John orders flowers uh, to be sent to Mary who is in hospital and those flowers are not sent, then it is John who is entitled to a remedy against the shop. Although Mary was to have had the benefit of the flowers, she cannot sue because she did not pay the price now the other element or attribute of um, consideration is that it must be of some uh, value as long as some value is given the court will not ask whether it is proportionate in value to the thing given in return. In other words, there's no remedy for someone who makes a bad bargain. Now, in the case of Thomas and Thomas, 1842, this illustrates the point. Here, an executor agreed to convey the matrimonial home to a widow, provided she paid one pound per year rent and kept the house in repair. In an action on the promise to convey, it was held that the promise of payment and doing the repairs were valuable consideration. Some acts, although 
of some value have been held to be no consideration. So here now we're going into the exception to this particular attribute or this particular rule or this particular principle of consideration. So consideration for it to be valid must move from the promisee. It must be of some value. And what we're being told is that it doesn't have to be proportionate. However, although it does not have to be proportionate and there are circumstances when there is some value, it can still be no consideration. And the question is, what are those circumstances? So we're going to look at what circumstances you would have consideration that is of some value, but yet still it is no consideration. So first example or the first illustration is when it comes on to the payment of debt. And here's the principle. Payment on the day that a debt is due of less than the full amount of the debt is not consideration for a promise to release the balance. And this is the rule in Pinel's case 1602. However, if the creditor agrees to take something different from what he is entitled to, or if payment is made at his request, the creditor, at an earlier date, there is sufficient consideration, right? So that's an exception to the rule. And within that rule, there's an exception to it. So in DC Builders and Reeves, 16, 1965, defendant owed the plaintiff 482 pounds and knowing that they were in financial trouble, offered them 300 pounds in full settlement of the debt. He accepted this check, but later sued for the balance of the 182 pounds and the plaintiff succeeded and why was the plaintiff successful first of all the defendant paid the plaintiff a check and the courts did not consider this as different from the cash to which the plaintiff was entitled b the payment was made at the defendant's suggestion and not at the p's request now remember, for this exception to apply, the rule in Pinel's case must, um, must be observed, which is that it is the creditor who must release the debtor and not the debtor seeking to release himself. And then the rule in Pinel's case state that a lesser sum will not satisfy a greater sum. Now, equitable estopel, this is the third um, reason why the uh, defendant, the defendant was unsuccessful. So equitable estopel was not available. It was not an available defense for the defendant because she had attempted to take advantage of the plaintiff's financial difficulties and had not therefore come to equity with clean hands. And there's a maxim, he who seeks equity must do equity. He who seeks equity must come with clean hands. Now, remember what we're looking at is that some acts, although arguable of some value, have been held to be no consideration. And the first 
circumstance we looked at was the payment of debt. We're now looking at the circumstance where there is a promise to do what the promisee can already legally demand. So in Stilkan Myrick, 1809, the plaintiff was a seaman who had agreed to work throughout a voyage for £5 per month. During the voyage, two of the crew of 11 deserted and the captain promised to divide their wages between the rest of the crew if they would complete the voyage. On completion of the voyage, the plaintiff requested his share and was refused. His legal action failed on the grounds that he was already contractually bound to complete the voyage and did not therefore provide any consideration for the promise of the deserter's wages. And that is to be contrasted with the case of Hartley and Ponsonby, 1857, which is similar. Here, 17 out of 36 crew deserted. The remainder were paid an extra £40 each to work the ship to Bombay. The plaintiff, a seaman, had to sue to recover his £40. He succeeded mainly because of the large number of desertions made the voyage more dangerous and this had the effect of discharging the original contract. It was now fundamentally different from the voyage bargain for. This left the plaintiff free to enter into a new contract under which his promise to complete the voyage com constituted consideration for the promise to pay £40. And another case that can be contrasted is Williams and Ruffy, and it's a 1990 case where the defendant engaged the plaintiff to carry out carpentry work in a block of flats at an agreed price of £20,000. The plaintiff soon realized that the price was too low for him to operate satisfactorily and, made, and make a profit. The defendant was concerned that the plaintiff would not complete the work on time and therefore made an oral agreement to pay the plaintiff a further sum of £10,300. Seven weeks later, after the defendant had paid the plaintiff only a further £1,500, the plaintiff ceased work and later sued the defendant for the additional sum promised. The Court of Appeal held that where D promised to pay the plaintiff a sum of money, the as in the defendant, additional to the already agreed contract price in return for the plaintiff's promise to perform his existing obligations on time, the resultant benefits to the defendant was capable of being consideration for the defendant's promise to make the additional payment, provided there was no economic duress or fraud. And when we get to vitiating factors, we will understand why economic duress and fraud would negation, would vitiate uh, consideration or vitiate the contract. So the court considered that this did not contravene the principle in Stilkan Marek 1809, but merely limited its application. So the plaintiff was therefore successful in obtaining the additional amount promised right so clearly that person did extra work and they renegotiated so one could argue that there was a renegotiation of the compensation um, package here then the third exception to the rule if you will 
that some acts, although arguable, of some value have been held to be no consideration, right? And that is exception to the rule that consideration must be of some value. Is where a promise is discharged, a duty imposed by law, right? A promise to discharge a duty imposed by law. So if you make a promise to discharge a duty that is already imposed by law, then that is not consideration. It is of it might be of some value, but it is not consideration. So in Collins and Godfrey, 1831, the plaintiff was called by a subpoena to give evidence in a case involving the defendant. He afterwards alleged that the defendant had promised to pay him six guineas for his loss of time. The plaintiff failed in his action since he was bound by law to attend the trial. This is the effect of the subpoena, and he did not therefore do anything for the defendant that he was not already bound to do. Plaintiff, therefore, had not provided any consideration. Then that now takes us to the doctrine of equitable estopel. And what is equitable estopel? Now, a strict application of the rule in Pinel's case could cause hardship to persons who relies on a promise that a debt will not be enforced in full. Equitable estopel mitigates this harsh, harshness. And if you say promissory estopel, equitable estopel, they are one and the same. It may be expressed as follows. And this is now how equitable estopel is defined. Where a person promises that he will not insist upon his strict legal rights and the other party acts upon that promise, then the law will require that such a promise be honored and that he be stopped from going back on the promise, even though it is not supported by consideration. So to give you an example, so you owe... $10, the creditor says to you, pay me $5 and I will accept that in full payment for my the debt you owe me and you pay the $5. The creditor cannot now go back on their promise and sue you for their other $5. If they do so, then you have the defense of equitable estopel, which is the creditor voluntarily gave up his strict legal rights. A case that illustrates the point is Central London Properties Trust and High Trees, Trees House, um, 1947. Here, the plaintiff leased a block of flats to the defendant due to the war. The defendant was unable to sublet the flats, and so the plaintiff agreed to accept half rent. Six months after the war, the plaintiff claimed the full rent for the post-war period. This claim succeeded. However, the courts considered whether the plaintiff would have succeeded if he had claimed the full rent back to the start of the war. Denning Jay, as he then was, said that he would not have been successful because he would have been stopped in equity from going back on his promise. Note that, one, the effect of Equitable estopel is suspensory, that is, when circumstances change, 
so as to remove the reason for the promise, the original rights of the promisor become enforceable again as in the high trees case. So what was happening? There was a war and as a result, uh, occupancy was low and the rent was reduced. The war ended, occupancy was returning, therefore the original rent would now become enforceable. So whilst the war was in place, the terms of the original contract were relaxed, but they were not terminated. The second point to note here is that the principle of equitable estapel acts as a shield and not a sword. And this is Burkett Law Justice. Thus, it only prevents the promisor from insisting on his strict legal rights when it would be unjust to allow him to do so. It does not enable the promisee to sue on an action unless he has given consideration. And in the case of Combi and Combi 1951, a husband during divorce proceeding promised to pay his wife an annual allowance. The wife, relying on this promise, agreed not to apply to the court for a maintenance order and later sued to enforce the husband's promise. At first instance, her claim succeeded on the authority of the High Trees case. The Court of Appeal reversed this decision because a equitable estapel may only be used when a person who promises not to enforce his strict legal rights goes back on his promise. It does not give effect to a new contract. Any new contract must be supported by consideration in the usual way. And therefore, it is to operate as a shield and not a sword. And then the second reason, the wife had not supplied consideration since her forbearance to apply for a maintenance order was not at her husband's request. So she could have applied for a maintenance order. She didn't. He made a promise to give her an allowance and she relied on the promise and she didn't apply for the maintenance order which she could have done. So consideration um, may sound technical, but it is seamless in the real world. So for instance, you go to the kiosk to purchase a snack and you pay for that snack. The payment of that money represents the consideration. So although consideration has always been a popular topic with examiners, problems rarely occur in practice. When they do arise, it is usually because the parties do the parties to a binding contract have suffered a change in circumstances and agreed to vary the original terms in a manner which confers a benefit on only one party. Then at a later stage, the other party seeks to enforce the original terms. So the modern approach to such situation expressed by the Court of Appeal in the 
important case of Williams and Ruffy is that a promise to pay an additional sum to secure performance of an existing and unchanged obligation is enforceable unless it was obtained by dress, that is economic dress, or the promisor received no benefit. The court will, however, regard a promise that ensures the timely performance of an obligation as conferring a benefit. In Ruffy, the defendants had contracted to refurbish some flats for the plaintiff due to the underestimating of the cost involved. Williams communicated to the defendant that he could not complete the work. The defendants then agreed to pay an extra amount per flat as they were worried that they would be subject to heavy penalty clause for late completion with the owners of the flat. The court held that Williams was entitled to the extra money. Carrying on of the work, though an existing obligation brought a significant additional benefit to the plaintiff through their avoiding the penalty clause, it amounted to fresh consideration. Although the Court of Appeal claimed to distinguish Tilkan Myrick most commentators believe the court went far beyond refinement or limitation, arguably abolishing the doctrine of consideration and removing the need to resort to the complexities of equitable estopel to enforce a change to promise. Instead, the courts will consider to a much greater extent than before whether unfair economic pressure has been brought to bear on the defendant by the plaintiff seeking to enforce an altered agreement. Commentators have generally welcomed this more flexible approach which allows renegotiation of contract terms in light of changed circumstances. There is, however, some danger that it will open the door to commercial blackmail falling short of provable duress. So that concludes uh, consideration and to recap the important thing is to be able to identify valid consideration and valid consideration is executed executory past consideration is not valid consideration but there are exceptions to past consideration rule such as if the uh it's implied that payment was to be made. That would give you an example of the exception to the past consideration rule. And for consideration to be valid, it must be of some value. And there's an exception to that because you can be of some value, but still no consideration. And it must pass from the promisee to be valid. So those are the high points in relation to consideration. So our next podcast will be on the intention to create legally binding relationships.